1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald. This is my host show, Living Fearlessly, with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of William Tenauer. And before I turn it over to unscripted dialogue, as I always do, I'm just going to, for the sake of expansive listenership, give you a little bit of information about my guest, William. So who is William Knauer? Well, what I can tell you about William is that he is the author of Write Within Yourself, an author's companion and fearless writing, Writer's Digest Books 2017, the editor-in-chief of Author Magazine, a sought-after speaker and teacher, and a featured blogger on the Huffington Post. In addition to his books, he's been published in the New York Times and Edible Seattle. His video interviews with hundreds of writers from Nora Ephron to Amy Tan to William Gibson, are widely considered the best of their kind on the Internet. He also hosts their online radio program, Author to Author, where every week he and a different guest discuss the books we write and the lives we lead. To learn more about William, you can go to williamkanower.com. Kenauer is spelled K-E-N-O-W-E-R. And again, we'll have that reiterated at the bottom of the hour. So William, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your hectic schedule to join myself and the listeners today on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you?
0: I'm great, Lisa. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing exceptionally well, thank you. And I want to first, uh, say to you publicly here, uh, it was such a treat and it was such an honor to have been invited onto your show. On yeah. April 18th, we had a lovely time discussing a multitude of uh, subjects and I just found your energy very infectious and I thought, I gotta have this guy on my show. <laughs> so, so, you know, we have a lot of synergies. We have a lot of commonality and, yeah. uh, you know, it always, it goes back to the crux of what it is to live fearlessly. So. Yeah given that that's uh, very much an area of passion for me and for yourself, I'd really appreciate it if we could start out with you maybe mentioning what living fearlessly means to you and how you feel you embody that in your journey.
0: Uh, Well, you know, the book, uh, you mentioned two of my books. Uh, The most recent is called uh, Fearless Writing, How Mm -hmm. to Create Boldly and uh, Write with Confidence. And I could have called it Fearless living. In fact, I was going to uh, when I initially conceived the book. I wanted to write a book that would take the um, the sort of lessons learned by all authors that both my, that I've experienced personally and from all the hundreds of conversations I've had with writers of all stripes about what it is to make something on purpose. Mm-hmm. What it is to have a blank page in front of you and say, what do I want on that blank page? Because the, how you answer that question, uh, really determines how you make choices, what you want to see in the world, and what you want to, um, and what you want to experience on a moment to moment basis. And I, I know for myself that the, that what I learned writing is applicable to my entire life. And, um, to me, uh, fearless living. Well, actually, let me let me define that a little, if I could. Absolutely. Uh, because when I say fearless, I really mean it. I mean the absolute absence of fear. So when you're writing, you can't simultaneously be afraid and write. Writing happens. Create, deliberate creation happens, because that's what writing is. It's creating something on purpose. The page is blank. You can't do it unless you do it on purpose, Mm-hmm. happens when you forget to be afraid when you forget and and by the way fear i would say is a story about the future in the end all fear is a story about the future it is it could be a year from now uh, a month from now it could be a minute from now if you're standing on the edge of a stage getting ready to go out and speak to a group you might feel fear that's your anticipation of what is going to happen in the next two minutes and so all fear is a story about the future and when we write uh we have to forget about the future we have to forget specifically about what people will think of what we write and whether it will sell and whether it's any good all these questions that will be answered or confronted sometime in the future. But to write, you have to be in the present moment. You have to forget about the past. You have to forget about the future and just focus on the thing you're most interested in right now. And so the simplest answer to what is fearless living is it's forgetting about the future in terms of trying to answer questions about it you can't possibly answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can have plans. You can have an, a kind of a goal. I would like to publish a book. I would like to get married. I'd like to have a relationship. All these vague plans, but fear is a story about that future. If this happens, I won't be happy. If I don't get that job, I will be unhappy. What if so and so is elected? What if I get cancer? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if I go on stage and I don't have anything to say? All that, all these stories about the future is what summons fear in us in the present. And if you can pay attention to the experience we have named fear, so you have a guidance system that's reacts to um, uh, whether you're just like when you put your hand on a burner and, and your body tells you that that burner is hot, you should take your hand off of it. If you're thinking about the future and wondering what will happen to me if no one ever – wants to have a relationship with me and I am alone for the rest of my life, you begin to think about this story of the future, you will feel within your body the experience we have named fear, which is your guidance system saying that's a stupid story. Don't tell it. It doesn't. Ha- it's not serving you. It's not coming true. But your guidance system can only speak in the experience of effortlessness and effort or calm and fear. And so the fear is your your inherent guidance system saying, Take your eyes off the future, bring it back to the present, and go forward from there.
1: Beautiful. You explained yeah. that so extremely, articulately, eloquently. Oh, and Yeah, so thank you for that. And, you know, I would echo your sentiments wholeheartedly, Bill. You know, um, fear, I think, is one of those words that is misunderstood. And, again, it's, it's the application of what we give it based on our experiences, our filters, uh, where we're at in the journey of self-awareness whether we're operating at our highest vibrational level or alternative, alternatively our lowest vibrational level. So our, what we attach meaning to is very much dependent on where we're at within ourselves. And yeah. so what I say to people, you know, when people, you know, take me to task or, or, have an alternative way of, of interpreting or viewing their definition of fear, which I'm always receptive. I, I just think it's a very interesting conversation. Um, you know, I just say, well, you know, if you substitute the word for fear with something that it would be somehow relatable to another adjective um, or another verb, you know. Just call it excitement, you know, because I think when you feel that kind of, as you mentioned, anticipation, where some people would regard that as fear, I I, I see it as kind of like an explosive opportunity to just do what I think intuitively you have a calling to do. And maybe it's something you've never done before, or maybe it's because you're at that level of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and you know for your, your own evolution of growth, and development, you must do that. Like it's it's the cellular level of of the commanding post of you got to do this. And so I think if you attach the name or the word or the descriptor of fear to something, um, you're doing yourself a disservice. So maybe just alternate the word in which you're using for the application of what you feel a calling or a purpose to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's true, and I think that. Um, the thing about fear, the, uh, so uh, uh, the, the experience we have named fear, mm-hmm. uh, that, and, and just for lack of a better word, discomfort within our, cause we feel it within our body. And you might call it, you can, whether you, and it's a, and it is a, a rush of energy, um, a rush of information. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, what I think happens to a lot of people around the experience of fear is it feels like failure. Because the fear – because usually, usually – I mean, you were describing excitement, which is certainly a rush of energy that we – sometimes because uh, let's say you're getting ready to go speak, to use that example again. You will feel that rush of energy because you're about to engage with all these people, and it, there is a ton of energy in a room when you have a lot of people. And it, it is somewhat of an unusual experience for many people, and so it feels like something is happening to them that they're not in control of. And it's true. When you go and speak to a group of people, you're not in control of all the people. You are now a part of an energy that you have simply summoned to be, to, to, uh, participate in. And so you're not in complete control as opposed to sitting alone in your room. Maybe you feel like you're in control because, uh, you're responsible for all the energy or so it feels. But, but the anticipation of something new can bring this rush of energy that feels, um, because it feels foreign to you and because it feels like it's, it's come to you without your deliberate, conscious participation. It can, you can feel out of control. I think, but um, but there is also the experience of of anxiety about something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So let's say uh, you well, you're going to go on a date and you don't know how it's going to go and you're afraid of what this person's going to think about you. The fear can feel like I think can feel like failure because usually what you're afraid of is some experience that will mean will be will be um uh confirmed that you aren't good enough you're not lovable enough you're not smart enough you're not capable you're broken whatever it is and so the reaction in your body which is saying don't think about the future in that way don't tell the story about how you want lovable don't tell the story of how you won't get published or you won't Your children won't grow up to thrive, whatever the story you're telling yourself that causes that anxiety in you. Mm -hmm. The, the, the job, our job is to simply listen to that information and let the story go. But I think most people suffer because they see the anxiety as confirmation of the fear, of the, of the reality that the fear is, is. Is reacting to the, yeah. the match reality. It's a subtle thing, but like I, I go through it with writing, uh, Lisa, which is, and I teach this to my students a lot, which is when you're writing, you, the only way to know if you're, if you're putting the right word on the page is. The difference between the effortlessness of the, the word that is meant for that story, that sentence, that scene, and the feeling of effort, which is of forcing a word in where it really doesn't belong. And for a lot of writers, that feeling of effort feels like failure. And so if they're efforting, 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 trying to force a story in and uh, force a character to do something they don't want to do or trying to make themselves write a story they don't want to write – that feeling of effort can feel like failure because it's hard and things aren't going well and instead of using that feeling of effort as information to to choose a different story, choose a different word, step back and find a different way forward, they it's very common to sort of collapse into despair because I can't do it, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with my talent, intelligence, etc. And so it's a misunderstanding of this very loving information that is trying to guide the person towards the story they want to tell and ultimately uh, the life they want to lead
1: lovely so based on that description would you say that somewhat encapsulates what people encounter authors writers specifically writers block an element of that
0: yeah it's a part of it writers block uh, I is usually a product of people trying to tell a story they don't want to tell that they're not actually interested in telling, or the story they want to tell they don't. The writer is unwilling to tell it the way it is wanting to be told. Mm-hmm. You know, because usually we're drawn to write a, to, to tell a story to write a book because we want to expand in some way, we want to grow, and sometimes we're really ready for it, and sometimes we're not. And it comes from an an unwillingness to see the story the way it wants to be seen. And so they say, oh, I'm blocked. There's nothing coming. Well, whatever they – it's coming. The answer to the question, how can I tell the story, is coming. But you have to allow the answer to come and you have to allow it to be what it actually is instead of what you want it to be instead of what you think it should be. Does that make sense?
1: It absolutely does. And you know, I, you know, and everybody has a different, uh, perception of what it is that they're reading. Some people gravitate to certain types of, uh, literature and, you know, it's, it's too wordy, it's too convoluted, you know, even if these bodies of work do in fact get published. And then there's other things that you read and it's just, it flows so easily. And I think, you know, you can really get into the mindset of the person who's birthed the book, who has written the book, even if it's gone through edit after edit, but you can still see the flavor, you can still see the, the sequence of things flowing together, and I think that's what separates the really uh, popular books, and by popular, I mean the people, the books and what they're written about, that content uh, resonating with the majority of people because it's like having a conversation. You know, it's not contrived, it's not fabricated, it's not um it's not trying to sound academic unless of course it's an academically premised type (laughs) book. So, you know, I think that's a really important thing when you're tackling your book, you're tackling your story. To really go, okay, well, if this was a, a face-to-face conversation, does this make sense? Am I speaking over people's heads? Am, am I trying to sound impressive as opposed to perhaps relatable?
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So fearless writing, the premise of the book is uh, the fearlessness. For writers, the, the single biggest um, impediment to fearless writing is one question, a question uh, uh, I think every writer contends with once they want to share their work and that question is what will other people think of it what will other people think of my work and it's an unanswerable question because you don't know because the answer to that question lies in the sovereign hearts of your readers and you can't and if you're sitting alone in your room writing your story writing your poem your essay your novel whatever it is you'll never be able to answer that the only questions you can answer if you're a writer is are what do I want to say what is the story I want to tell and have I Told it is what's on the page as interesting as what is in my mind. Is it uh, uh, this idea came to me? It seemed interesting, profound, sexy, cool, useful, whatever it was. And is what's on the page as as interesting, profound, sexy, or cool as what's in my imagination? You can answer those questions. But when you were talking, what you were talking about earlier is um is is what we would call voice and and voice and, and writing and fearless writing in general is really. A, a, a an act of constant self acceptance. And and I and by self-acceptance I mean when you if you're writing along and you put down a sentence and and you and you aren't asking yourself, what will other people think of it? Is this going to make me look cool? Is this going to make me look smart? But if you just say yes, that's what that sentence resonates with me, that is an authentic expression of what it is I would like to share with other people. Just that act, that feeling of of laying a sentence down effortlessly on the page not trying to be anything just saying i want to share this idea i have whether it's a whether it's a memoir or a work of fiction or something or a poem whatever it is that mm-hmm. act of writing what interests you most not anybody else but just you yes. that's so interesting to me just doing that is a it is self acceptance It is self-acceptance because you're accepting that all you have is your intelligence and your curiosity and those two things are enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, your imagination, your curiosity, your intelligence, those two things, those are enough for you to write something worthy of sharing with other people. And if you can let, uh, and when you rest in that knowledge that your imagination and your curiosity, your muse are enough, when you accept that they are enough that's what self acceptance is and that's when you write then that's when you're able to write something that is authentic and not trying to be something uh mm-hmm. to impress others which is a very tempting uh which is very tempting for a lot of writers uh because you want acceptance from others and it's, uh, it's very easy to try to Write something that you believe will be acceptable to others because your work ultimately has to be accepted by a publisher and by readers. But in fact, the way to find that external acceptance is to first accept yourself in the very writing of the of the story.
1: Mm -hmm. Lovely. Well, in my humble opinion, and perhaps I might offend people, that wouldn't be the this wouldn't be the first time. But um, you know, I, I I think I think if if that is the question that somebody asks, but they they don't honor themselves with, as you mentioned, operating from their own knowledge base, operating from their own intelligence, operating from their own storyline of what resonates and speaks to them. I think what people, when authors, writers specifically, because of what we're talking about, when they deviate from that, I think for any intelligent reader, I, I think that's a bit of a red flag. You know, i that's where I think it becomes disingenuous. That's where it becomes a little bit, in my mind, and that's what separates the type of authors I absolutely love and what I gravitate towards in terms of content, material, and message uh, versus other authors because it doesn't strike a chord with me. And I, I can see that there's too much – it's just too contrived for me. Um, unless, of course, you know the author extensively and you, you've heard them speak, and, and it's all aligned, it's all congruent, and then that's just their style. But when you when you see different formats in which certain uh, writers. Talk and you've seen them interviewed and then you read the written material of which they produced and there's not an alignment there. That's where I've kind of, you've kind of lost my buy-in a bit because it just seems like, okay, are you writing because you want to say you're an author? Are you writing for the fact that you want to be in the so-called group of people who have gotten their name out there in print with a publishing company, perhaps, or self-published. So, you know, that that's just a bit of a barometer for me. That's how I kind of measure and determine for myself personally who I identify as being an authentic writer. Yeah. Um, but well, let but, me ask. Uh, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. ahead no, no. Well, okay, go
0: ahead. All right. Well, I was going to say is that reading and writing are very closely aligned in that you could read a book and it could really resonate with you. And you think, God, this thing just so true, so authentic, so useful, so compelling. And then your best friend could pick it up and say, what are you talking about? This is so boring. This is so useless. And 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 the fact that your best friend doesn't. In fact, I had that experience once with a song. I was listening to this song by a, a an artist named Abby Lincoln. I would never heard of her, but she was she. Uh, I came across this lovely song, and I was listening to it, and I was like, "God, this is so great! I love the lyrics. I love the way she interpreted it." And at that moment, I just started listening to it. My wife, whom I adore, and who is Aesthetically aligned with me for the most part, we agree on so much. She came into the room. I said, "Jen, Jen, stop! Listen to this." I played the song for her, and she got this look on her face like she just <laughs> swallowed a piece of rotten fruit. And she said, "Oh, oh, I hate it! Oh, stop! Stop playing it! I hate it!" And so I did. I we. Let that one go. But the fact that my wife, whom I love and whom I share so much with, didn't love the song could not stop me from loving it myself. And so as a writer, you have to – and I tell my my loved ones when I publish a book. I say, look, I've written this book. I've published it. You don't have to like it. You Mm -hmm. may not. I love it. I loved writing it and the people who are meant to find it will find it. The people who are meant to love it will love it. But just writing is reading is a form of self acceptance because you say, I love it. I can't help it. I don't know why. And what other people think of the thing you love when you, whether you write it or read it, doesn't change your relationship to it. That's that Lisa is fearless living saying, I know what suits me, Lisa, you got to live your life. It ain't mine. And my wife's got to live, live, lead her life, and although she leads it next to me, it's still not mine. And my sons have to lead their – to say I get uh, – only I can know what my authentic life is. Only I can know what my authentic story is, whether I'm telling it or reading it. Only yeah. I know. And that takes – we are so tempted, I think, to look to others to tell us what to do and are we okay and are we good enough. But to say, I have all the equipment to do it myself. Absolutely. That's fearlessness.
1: Absolutely. Well, to parallel what you so eloquently said, you know, my mindset around the whole thing, you know, because I, I've written my own books, uh, children and my first adult nonfiction memoir manuscript, which is currently in the hands of literary agents. And so I've had the experience of writing different things. I've written poetry my entire life, loved writing essays and anthologies. And for me, what I can say, quite honestly, um, is for myself personally, if it came down to you know, if I was really super proud, which I am, of everything that I've written, and if it stood the chance of not being received by anybody—call it friends, call it family, call it people I don't know—I um, would be more okay with that, truly, than writing something. Uh, and writing it more so for an intended audience, but it losing the integrity of it truly being my story or something I would one hundred percent, absolutely, be completely proud of. So I think if you if the if if you view yourself, and I say this, you know, be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader. And so if you tackle every aspect of your life from the premise of knowing who you are. And being more concerned with self-validation and being proud of what you produce and having your name attached to it. If everybody hated my stuff, but I felt a 100% in line with my story, my message, my lesson, my gift, my whatever, I would be okay with that. I, I mean, for me, that is my barometer. That is my barometer. Yeah. And so, if I if I've done something, if I've written something that I'm truly proud of, and then I get external feedback that, uh, you know, is positive, is receptive, then to me that's an added bonus. You know, it really is an added bonus. But that's not what I'm seeking in the endeavor or the passion in birthing my own material.
0: Yeah, sales are great, and I suppose ultimately, sort of. Necessary in one way, but um, if as an author someone writing something to share with other people, if I sit down and say, "What can I write that'll sell a hundred thousand copies, I actually don't have an answer to that because i don't I don't know, and it's a very uncomfortable question to ask and by the way, speaking of fearless living, if I say to myself okay i've got to write a book that's going to sell hundred thousand copies." I'm asking myself a question I can't answer, but I'm not, but I'm not, it's not just that. I'm probably asking it in a way that's saying you have to be able to answer that or else somehow your well-being is going to be compromised. And now I will feel fear. It's like I've got to be able to do this thing or else I won't, my ego won't survive, my body won't survive. And it's a terribly uncomfortable position to put yourself in. On the other hand, if you say, what's the story I would most love to share with other people? Now, that's a question I can answer. And how me- how I will share it and how many people buy it, I can't know that. But I have learned that in my own experiences writing and teaching and talking to people that the more I trust the value of what it is I'm trying to share, the clearer I'm able to be in my expression of it and the more people I reach with it that my main job and it's and the beauty of that is my main job is simply to answer questions I can answer what do I value what do I value and how can I express it because if I value it and since I'm a human being surely someone else will value it too and by the way that was just what I remember the first time I really heard that expressed was with a guy I really liked as an artist with David Bowie I was a big fan of his when I was was a young guy. loved the guy and he was very experimental and I saw I guess an interview with him, and he said, "Well, my basic philosophy is I write stuff I like, and I figure if I like it, other people are going to like it too." And I do think that, and 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 many of the writers I work and and coach work with and coach, uh, their basic fear is like, "But what if other people don't like it? Like, I can't know other people are going to like it. I only know that I like it, but is that enough?" And it is enough, but you have to trust that it's enough. You have, and the more you trust it. The better you can express it and the better you can express it, the more people will be able to find it and see the value in what it is you're sharing. The value of the romance novel, the value of the suspense novel, the value of the memoir or the essay, whatever it is.
1: Absolutely. Well said. Well, let me ask you this, Bill. So, you know, publicly – because you're a public figure and you interface with the public all the time, people who are very reputable and notable uh, within their own particular industry. But of course, you, you specialize in the whole writing industry. This is your passion and these are the people that you seek out. These are your tribe. Um, so very clearly, people can publicly glean through your social media how it is that you choose to live fearlessly professionally but what I would be interested to know as I'm sure the listeners would as well is what do people not necessarily know about the ways in which you choose to live fearlessly privately?
0: Uh, Well, you know, it's a, I I think of it as a, uh,
1: it's a moment,
0: it's a moment to moment practice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's a moment to moment practice for me. So when I'm writing, uh, I'm always looking for the effortless path. That's what I think of it as because the right path for the story or the essay or whatever it is I'm writing is the effortless one. And so I spend a lot of time trying to find it. And so on a day-to-day basis, it's <laughs> – actually, you know what? I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Here's what I would boil it down to. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would boil it down to because – um, Again, in Fearless Writing, what it's all about, the book Fearless Writing, is all about saying how do you write to share with other people without ever worrying about what other people will think of your work? And that question, what do other people think of my work, it just plagues writers of all stripes, not just beginning writers. Very successful writers can worry about it because now suddenly they've got a $100,000 contract and will they live up to that and so on and so forth. So in one way or another, that question hovers around almost every author I know and I know a lot of them. But the main job, my main job when I write, therefore, is not to get into other people's heads, not to wonder what they think about me, what they think about my work, not wonder what they think. And I will tell you, in my experience of having relationships with other people, because that's most of what life is. It's a relationship with yourself and it's a relationship with others. The worst thing I can do is try to get, is wonder what they think about me or think I know what they think. Every time I've gotten to an argument with someone I loved, every time, Lisa, is because I thought I knew what they were thinking and probably right. about me. And every time I thought I knew what they were thinking, I was wrong. And so the on a personal level, what I do is just like when I'm writing, trying to say what do I want to say and have I said it, when I'm relating to other people, is to try to stay out of their head. Try to stay out of the question, what do they think of me? Do I? Do they think I'm have I hurt their feelings? I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but I can't get into anybody's mind. It's just not reachable to me. I can try to speak as honestly as I can always. I can try to speak as compassionately as I can. I can try to be as – I can try to listen as well as I possibly can. But if I can stay out of other people's heads, mm-hmm. I am at my most fearless because as soon as I believe I have to know what they're thinking, well, there's the fear again because I can't know what they're thinking. And I can't – and and by the way, I cannot let my well-being be based on what other people think of me. Bingo. So I can't do it. And believe me, I've tried. It seemed like something worth pursuing because I like it when people like me and I don't like it when they don't like me. But – I cannot let my well-being be based on that. And what's interesting, uh, Lisa, is that one of the hardest people to – the hardest people to be around are the ones who need you to like them because Mm -hmm. now they need you to behave a certain way in order for them to be It's so much easier to be around people who don't need you to like them. They are so (laughs) likable.
1: Yeah. No, (laughs) it's so true. It's so true. And and as you were speaking, there were a couple of things simultaneously uh, that – that popped to mind. So one may be question, might one may be a thought. So bear with me here. Um, but, you know, what I have tried to really embody to do, and I'm not saying that it's always easy, easily done or accomplished, um, but I'm always cognizant of when I'm shifting too much into my head, that analytical space, as opposed to I'm not operating within my heart space. So I, you know... You know we all to a certain degree, yes, we're it's a human condition we all want to be liked, we all want to be loved, we all want to be accepted, we want to be embraced, however, I think living fearlessly when you get to that point within your own journey and within your own space and you're hundred percent comfortable in your own skin um you know, and you're thick skinned and, you know, you and I being writers and doing what we do for a living, you know, you, you have to put yourself out there knowing that you're not going to appeal to everybody. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody's going to resonate with you, but knowing that there's perhaps a percentage of people that do. And I've always said for the type of things that I value, the subject matters that I value people who are emotionally intelligent, um, people who Live fearlessly for whatever it is they do that may be completely different from what I do, but that essential core ingredient of, I love myself, because it it starts with that, I love myself enough, I believe in myself, even if nobody else does, that I am going to honor myself, I'm going to honor my own decision making, I'm going to honor my own path, I'm going to comfortably take risks, you know, call it being an entrepreneur, call it being a single mom, call it writing books, call it, you know, writing for ARIA a Huffington, call it for whatever, where the more you up your game, the more you choose to rise in your own life, you know, you do take it to that echelon of being even further ridiculed because people then start to, again, looking at you through their own filters and that being in their own head, as opposed to wanting to resonate with you or give you the benefit of the doubt Wait, as a fellow human being from the heart you know level. That,
0: you know what, uh, you know why people criticize Lisa, when they see you doing something, do you know why people criticize?
1: Oh, there's a whole plethora of reasons, well, but I don't focus just, on that. I, I don't.
0: But there's a fundamental reason, and and this I found this to be the case pretty much every time, which is everyone's trying to create what they want, right? Mm-hmm. We're all trying to create the life we want. And one of the ways we do that is we see people doing things that we that we don't want to create. Maybe someone writes a book that we don't like. We read it and we go, oh, I don't like – I don't like romance novels where the heroine is always saved by the hero at the end. I want to write a romance novel where the heroine sort of saves the hero in a way, or the guy, where the woman saves the guy. Maybe I want the opposite. So we, when we see something we don't like, we automatically, the discomfort we feel when we see a book we don't like or we hear a a lecture we don't like or someone offers a political point of view we don't like, we automatically feel the opposite thing within us, the thing we do like, the thing we do want to create. The best thing to do at that point is then go make it. But what most people do is they criticize the one doing the thing they don't like because they know they don't like it. Like, hey, I don't like that story. I don't like that poem. I don't like that song. I don't like the life you're leading. I want I think people should all be married with children. No one should ever get divorced. I don't like that because I want to be married, whatever it is. And so what they're doing when they're criticizing you is they're trying to find their own life. But instead of going and doing it, this is why things like YouTube and Amazon are often filled with these kind of criticisms because the people aren't creating what they want. They're just stuck in the feeling of I don't want this, which is great. You know, if you want to, if you're a liberal, go watch Fox News. You will be compelled (laughs) towards your liberalism. And likewise, if you're a conservative, go watch MSNBC. But go create the thing you want. And most criticism is people stuck in the feeling of just looking at things they don't want. And I will tell you, I had that same experience myself when I wasn't really writing the stuff I truly wanted to write. I was writing stuff that was similar to it, but not not really on the beam. I started reading books and getting really frustrated with them. They're not doing it right. They're not doing it right. I would get mad. I'd say, Chen, I'd say to my wife, listen to this. They should have done it this way. They should have done it that way. I was so frustrated all the time with what other people were writing until I finally let myself write the stories, the essays I truly wanted to write. And suddenly it was much easier to forgive all those people who were writing things that I didn't want to read because there's a lot of stuff I want to read. And that really, you know, and it's, I, and I, I and I, I want to, I hope our, your listeners heard that because it's so useful. It's such a easier way to hear criticism if you can. Everybody wants to create their, their life. Everybody wants to create an authentic life and, and the experience of what we call contrast, what Abraham Hicks, the great teacher Abraham Hicks yeah. talks about contrast is so useful to, to, to to us all, so when you see something you don't like, if you feel the experience within your body, if I don't like that, ask yourself, well, what do I like? Because that's what that experience is trying to point you to. Life is a, is, a, is a creative act, not a destructive act. And so you have to ask not what I don't want, but what I do want. What I don't want is not creative. It's the beginning, but it itself isn't – that statement doesn't create anything. But what I do want – we saw it actually politically recently where in the United States the Republicans suddenly had – the whole government, and they didn't know what to do because they have been used to saying no, no, no. Now they had to say yes. It's much harder to say yes than it is to say no. It's much harder to say yes. So
1: True. Well, and you raised a lot of valid points. And, of course, when we talk about what it is you and I are passionate about here, I mean, everything we're talking about in terms of, Living fearlessly from the writer's perspective, I mean, it's really a metaphor for every other aspect of one's life, whether you are in the writing world, whether you're an author, whether you're even so-called creative. But in terms of, you know, cause for me, it's a mindset. And I think if you can, if you can recalibrate and reset your own mindset without, without that coming or being precipitated or motivated by what it is other people think. You know, it's not about conforming to the popular idea of how people feel you should be within your journey, particularly when you're more publicly out there. Uh, there's more to perhaps criticize. But, you know, you raise a valid point, William, because, you know, if, if people are seeing things that they don't like, that's... That to me, that's energetically encouraging you at the universal level. That's saying, okay, well, go be part of the solution. Let's not talk about the that's problem. Right. Let's not fixate whether it's you offering a point of view about somebody else and whether they fit the norm for how you view somebody should be living their life and the choices they should then be, uh, you know, executing in their life. You know, go be part of the solution. Be part of someone else's solution. Be part of your solution. And let that be a catapult. Let that be a motivator uh, for change within your own life. Because if you've got too much time to idly sit back and criticize somebody else who may be doing things that aren't necessarily aligned with how you view the world or how you think somebody should be earning a paycheck or whatever the case may be, well, what is it about you that could be honing a little bit more on yourself to be a happier person where you don't have to be so freaking critical.
0: Right. Well, and, and criticism and complaint keeps you stuck Yes. In, in the place of what I don't want to see in the world. And it's fine to see people doing things and say, God, that really seems, you know, um, you know, let's say you see a, parent hitting her child in a way and that oh, you and I, I it's perfectly natural to criticize at least maybe not go up to her but think that's wrong but on the other side of that is the thought of well, how do you deal with a child when the child is wild and the child is is um is is unhappy and really loud in public how it's never easy and so how what is a compassionate way short of a physical violence that I can be A good parent at this and help the child. How can I actually help them and not just, uh, get them to quiet down so I'm not embarrassed and frustrated? So if there's, if you can look beyond the criticism of what they're doing and ask yourself a creative question, well, what would I do in that situation? What would I do in that situation? Because sometimes the answer isn't so, isn't so easy and complaint. And complaint absolutely just keeps you stuck in prison. It's like saying, "I'm in this jail. I hate this jail. This jail sucks. Why I'm in this jail? Oh my God, this jail is so awful." And that's fine, but then let's find a way out of the jail. Maybe the door is open already, but you haven't seen it. And sometimes people feel that are really, I, I people can get addicted to complaint because it is an important step in a way in the creative process because it is recognizing you don't like the way something is is. What you're experiencing. You know, uh, a lot of times we live and we grow accustomed to a certain kind of discomfort. So let's say, I, like, so for instance, I used to write stories, like I said earlier, that weren't totally in line with what I wanted to share with the world, but they were real close, but they weren't totally in line. So it's kind of like I was wearing size 11 and a half shoes instead of size 12 shoes, but I grew accustomed <laughs> to the discomfort the mild discomfort of sort of making myself write these stories in the same way I would make myself do homework at school that I didn't really wasn't that personally interested in. If you'd given me something else to do, I would have done it. But I taught myself how to do these things, even though I didn't love doing them. And so I grew accustomed to that discomfort. And so I started complaining and complaining and complaining about the discomfort. And the complaint was me recognizing I'm unhappy until finally I said, well, what could I do to be happy how could i relieve the discomfort and so i found the stories that better suited me and and so for a lot of people complaint is them recognizing god i have been unhappy for 20 years but i don't even know what i'm unhappy about i don't even understand where this discomfort comes from but the complaint mm-hmm. is the first step in saying this i'm not actually comfortable with what the way i look at the world the way i think about them myself the way i'm i'm uh the way I view my, the story I'm telling about myself and my own life. And so in that way, complaint can be useful to recognize that you're unhappy, but then you've got to say, what, what do I want to change? What would I like to let right. go?
1: Right. And, and that involves taking massive action. Um, But what you and I both know, Bill, is that what you put your attention on grows stronger. And so we are all faced with every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our days and our decision making. We can either focus our attention on the negative, and then that becomes very counterintuitive, very counterproductive. Or alternatively, we can focus our attention on the things that we wish to aspire to do. You know, the things that really put our hearts on fire, put our souls on fire, that really align us with the right people and the right opportunities where we truly can say we're living in and, uh, believing that it's a fulfilled, yummy life. Um, you know, and so when you choose to err on the side of what you put your attention on being positive, then you become a participant, then you become a contributor, then you're solution focused and watch how your life exponentially takes off in a fantastic direction as a result of focusing on the positive things so although i try to as i mentioned earlier always operate from the heart space if we're talking about the mind and yes there's a you know we've really got to work on the mind to get it aligned with the heart but in order to make that congruent energy that we're then putting forward and out into the world you know It's all in the results. So if things are continuously showing up that go against what it is you are professing to want in your life or or the kind of person you wish to be or the kinds of people you wish to be surrounded by, then something's out of line. Something's out of whack. And usually that's our internal dialogue. And usually it's a result of whether we're taking action or not taking action. So if we're living in a state of inaction, nothing's going to change and therefore you're going to likely unless you see the need to change for yourself first and foremost to be a happier human being um, you're going to live in the status quo of well you know every every day is the same every week is the same every year is the same every relationship is the same and that might not be the kind of relationship day week or mood that you want to have in your life, it comes down to choice. So it does, it yeah. does,
0: and and I want to say a couple things about action and happiness, which is that action is important, but I would say more important than action itself is that is um, paying attention mm-hmm. to how you feel while you take the action, because yeah. again, your feeling, whether it's comfort or discomfort ease or struggle is your only guidance for whether that action is in alignment with your what you describe as your heart's desire which is your authentic authentic flow of your life or out of alignment with it so yes action is good but if you don't pay attention to how you feel while you take the action so i could sit at the desk and type away and every word i click onto the page is an action But if I'm not paying attention to how I feel while I put those words on the page, the story will come out a mess. Or it will come out maybe a coherent story, but not the story I wanted to tell. Because I wasn't really paying attention to how I felt. And I, and which goes back to the question of happiness. And I think then, I just wrote a blog about this recently, and I, and I do feel it's true, which is you have to take being happy very seriously. By which I mean it has to be And and happy is a tricky word because when people think of happy, they might see themselves celebrating or jumping around or laughing or smiling. But I mean happiness in the broadest sense, which is a sense of well-being. It encompasses contentment. It encompasses curiosity. It encompasses passion, interested, focused, every good feeling you want in all its shades. You have to take it seriously, meaning it has to actually be more important to you than whether people think whether you're cool or smart or successful or pretty or heavy or thin or any of these other things that we pursue has to be more important than your job has to be more important than your family. Because for me, I can't do any of those things. I can't be a father, husband, writer, editor, coach, teacher, citizen, unless I am happy. I'm never at my best than when I'm happy than when I am feeling curious Interested, confident, secure, uh authentic. When I feel that way, I'm at my very best. And the choices I made are the very best. But I have to take it seriously. I can't let that feeling be dependent on condition. I can't let it be dependent on my bank account. I can't let it be dependent on my Facebook followers. I can't mm-hmm. let it be dependent on how many sales I'm at, or whether the contract comes through. And it's very tempting to do that. It has to be unconditional. And if you can get really... If you decide that your happiness, your well-being is more important than any condition, now you're living. Now you can actually begin to create those conditions that are an expression of your inherent unconditional happiness. I'm going to say it again. Let your conditions, whether it's the book, the house, the family, the relationship, let it be the expression of your well-being, not the cause of it. You understand?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, very well put. And you know, you and I could talk to you for hours, you know, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, unfortunately, I'm always cognizant of time. And and when yeah. it, it when it goes, you know, this is such a, a flowing, beautiful conversation. And I love talking to me about things that really matter. I love emotional intelligence. I love, you know, people who are on fire. I love people who emit that energy. I mean, it it just radiates through it permeates through and I'm just soaking it up. And so for the spirit that you've continuously put me in every time we speak, I want to say thank you for that. I want to say Once again, thank you for the lovely uh, interview we had on your show on April 18th. And so given that we've got like less than five minutes now, Bill, I want to give you the opportunity to say to listeners where it is that they can find you for any of your services or just to get more of what they felt they got out of this interview that resonated with them, that they want to stay connected. Where can they find you?
0: Well, the best place to go is williamcanower.com, williamcanower.com, And there you'll find – uh, we can, you know, you can buy the books anywhere, but you can, links to buy the books, obviously. But also you can contact me. Uh, I do work with clients one-on-one, uh, as a kind of writing coach. I'm like a life coach for writers, you could say. Uh, and I also, but I, I like to talk to groups. If you wanted me to give a keynote to your writing conference, or if you wanted me to teach fearless writing workshops in your area, or even via Skype. I can do it that way. If you're interested in me talking to some of your groups, uh, I am happy to do so. I live in the Seattle area, so I do travel around the Northwest. I could travel nationally with little help, but I for sure do lots of stuff here in the Northwest. So the best way to uh, find me is williamcanauer.com. That links to Author Magazine, which is the magazine I, the online magazine I edit and all the interviews and blogs and the podcast, and yada, yada, yada. That's the <laughs> hub of my internet empire. So yeah, WilliamCanara.com. I love hearing from, uh, from readers. Again, the book is fearless writing. Uh, love it. Love it. It's out there. Get it. Like I said, in bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever. Uh, and, uh, if you can't work with me one-on-one, it's a good foundation for how to, how to, um, the, here, here's what I would say quickly about fearless writing, which is that I, craft is very important for writers. You, you do have to know how to write. There's a lot of stuff about it. But it's actually fairly easy to learn in one way. But if you are afraid, if you don't have the emotional component to writing, and I speak from my own experience because I did not have this in order, all the craft in the world will not serve you. Absolutely. You have to write. You have to find your confidence and know what it is and – and once and you once you found your confidence, then you can employ your craft. But until you find your confidence, and it's always there waiting for you, by the way, it doesn't go away, it doesn't hide, it's not vindictive, it's not capricious, it's there waiting for you. And fearless writing is about how one finds it on purpose. How do you find it every day on purpose, which is what I had to teach myself to do. And so I share some of my techniques and stories with you about how to how to write fearlessly on purpose lisa
1: Excellent. Well, Bill, I can't thank you enough. This has been a lovely opportunity doing this once again. And uh look forward to hearing all further yummy stuff in the journey, and maybe we have you back on the show in the new year. But to my listening audience, I want to say thank you once again for joining me here. I go live every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern. This is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. I want to thank you again for now being one of over a quarter of a million podcast subscribers to Living Fearlessly. I want to wish you a phenomenal weekend. I want to thank you for your loyal listenership, and the podcast will be uploaded shortly for anyone who wasn't able to join in with us here on the live show. So have a fantastic weekend. Continue to live fearlessly. Touch back next Friday. All my best.
0: You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com.